0: Here in John chapter 4, we find the story of this woman at the well. And the Bible says here, John chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. But Jesus himself did not baptize them, yet his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And on the way to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Saqqar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? She's a little sarcastic at this point. I think at first she's probably like, here comes just another man trying to hit on me at noontime. Talking to me about water. All right. and She says, but sir, you don't have a bucket or a rope. And this well's very deep. Where are you going to go? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Do you think there's a better water than Jacob's water? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. She is still being sarcastic with Jesus. And he's like, woman, go get your husband. (laughs) He's about had it. (laughs) Then she says, Jesus, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So the woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only. Do you notice that once he starts to get personal, she starts to get religious? Okay. So tell me why it is that the Jews insist in Jer- that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim while our, where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, in Johnson City or in Texas or New York or Africa or India. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed. Here it is now. When true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth and the father is looking for those who will worship him that way for God is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth and the woman said I know the Messiah is coming the one who is called Christ when he comes he will explain everything to us that Jesus told her I am the Messiah. It's pretty amazing. Just then his disciples came back they were shocked to find him talking to a woman But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? They were scared. (laughs) The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming in from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained. I love this, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say to you, wake up, look, and around the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is the people brought into eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. In other words, he's saying, you went into that city and nobody came out with you. She went into that city and the entire city has come to see me. He's trying to teach him a lesson. Even disciples miss it sometimes, and sometimes he's got to use a woman who's been married five times and is living with somebody in the current situation. I'm just telling you this morning, if you're too religious, you'll miss it. All right. You know the saying, one plants another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to the harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him in their cell, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days. Check this out. Jesus stays with a group of Samaritans for what is two days of his life. Early on in the ministry, I preached a message a year or so ago called What's Your Samaria? And I talked about how Jesus took the disciples. This is one of their first mission trips with Jesus. And this is one of the first places he takes them as he takes them out on mission with him, and he takes them to a group of people that they hate because the gospel, the Bible says it's got to go to Judea, to Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then what? The uttermost parts of the world. It doesn't get to the world if you can't get through Samaria. So in other words, Jesus was saying to these boys, I got to get this racism out of you All right, and he uses a woman in Samaria, so he's got, I gotta get this racism and I gotta get this sexism out of you. So the Okay, all right, that's not relevant for the day we live in. Okay, so he stayed for two days long enough for, more, for many more to hear his message and believe. <laughs> then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Sometimes I just like to read the whole story in church. Is that all right? Awesome. A couple things I want to show you in this story and we'll be finished. Here we see that Jesus has made a decision. The Bible tells us that he must go through Samaria. And we understand that Samaria, if you look on a map, Samaria is not, uh, is, is not on the way. Um, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's a... It's, uh, it's, it's actually on the way. It's, what's funny about this is the Jews, because they hated Samaritans so much, they would actually skip Samaria and it would take them longer to get where they were going than if they just went through Samaria. But Jesus, the Bible said, must go through Samaria. And like I told you, the gospel has to get to Samaria so that it can get to the world. But as he's sitting there at the well, The Bible says that he's sitting there. He's tired from his journey. The disciples have left. And as he's waiting, the Bible tells us that this woman shows up. And when this woman shows up, Jesus begins to have a conversation with her. And she's got to be surprised because nobody is usually at the well at noon. You know anything about the culture? Everybody would either go in the morning or late in the evening when it's cooler. Not in the middle of the This is is, it's hot at noon. It's 100 plus people would not do this. But she does this. Why does she do this? Well, she does this because she's she's the talk of the town. She's got five husbands. She's she's not married to the guy she's currently living with. And so she is hiding She's hiding from people. She is hiding from the conversation. She doesn't want to get to the well when everybody else is there because if everybody else is there, the conversation starts. She gets the looks and the people start to tap each other and they say, there she is. There's that woman. You remember the one I was telling you about? That's her. That's her right there. So to avoid that, the Bible says that while Jesus is there at noon, nobody else is there. She shows up to get some water. I love it that Jesus, first of all, we see Jesus is there before she gets there. Not an amazing thought, just the simplicity of that, that Jesus is waiting on her. I love that, the fact that he waits on us. The Bible tells us in, I think it's Second Peter 3 and 9, it tells us that he is, he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. In other words, that means he is is waiting this thing out for as long as he can because he doesn't want anybody to die without him. He's patiently waiting. Isaiah tells us that he waits to bless us. The Lord waits to bless us. He's there waiting on her. Do Do you realize this morning that when you came here today, that he was waiting on you. <laughs> he was waiting on you. You showed up this morning and you didn't really, you didn't really realize that until you started to experience his presence. And, and I know sometimes we talk about how we bring the presence with us, but there are some Sundays where we don't bring anything with us. And he is here waiting on you. I love it because the picture literally is Jesus. I hope I don't break these pretty little lights, but the picture is Jesus just kind of sitting at the well. Maybe his feet are touching. I don't know how tall Jesus was. Maybe he was a short guy and he's just sitting there and his legs are going back and forth. Can you just see it? Jesus is just chilling. He's just posted up. He's just sitting there waiting. And you know, this, this picture gives me so much courage and strength this morning because this, this picture is a picture of Jesus just sitting there waiting. They're going to be here. I, I know they're in from their beginning. I know they're coming here at 1215 today. I'm just sitting here waiting for them to get here. Do you know he just sits there and he just says, you know, they're going to get it back together. I know they will. It's like the father in Luke 15, who the Bible tells us that when the son came back, that the father saw him from afar off. Do you know why he saw him from afar off? It's because he was actually sitting there every day waiting for his son to come back. See, when you are a good God and a good father, you know that nothing that your children attempt to do without you will satisfy them. So you know at some point they are going to come back home. Is there anybody thankful for a God who's just waiting on us to make the decision to come back home? He's just sitting on the porch, just drinking his sweet tea like they they'll figure it out. They'll fail enough, they'll fall enough, they'll try, they won't succeed. And you know what? I've been so good, they're going to miss me. That's why the Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Because you can go everywhere, and you can try everything, and you will realize for the rest of your life, nothing has been as good to you, and no one has been as good to you as God has been to you. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody? You believe that this one? Nobody has been as good to you. See, so he's just waiting. <laughs> He's waiting, she's hiding. John Piper wrote it this way uh, when he talks about our propensity to hide from things. He said, we hide, all of us hide. Every one of us have our noontime well visits. (laughs) He said, we hide in our homes or away from our homes. We hide in our rooms and in our offices. We hide in our housework, yard work our garage puttering. We hide behind computers and phones and newspapers and magazines. We hide behind headphones and Netflix and ESPN. We hide behind fashion, education, careers, Facebook, pulpits. We hide in businesses and busyness and procrastination. We hide in outright lies and diversionary conversation. We hide behind sullenness and humor. We hide behind bravado and timidity, we hide in extrovertism and introversion. We all hide. Some of you are hiding this morning behind your career, you're hiding behind that degree, you're hiding behind. And you know what, the, the thing about shame and the thing, of, the thing about shame is that shame is not always the result of our mistakes. Shame is very often the result of unfulfilled expectation. Expectation that we have put on ourselves, expectations that we believe others have for us, and we have fallen short of that expectation. That's what sin means. Sin means to fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes in life, it's not that we just fall short of God's glory. We fall short of our own expectation. We fall short of other people's expectation. And now we are living with this shame. And we have become friends with shame. And we have found a way to deal with our shame. She has found a way to cope with the fact that she has had five husbands and is not married to the sixth man she is living with. How do I do it? I'll just hide from everybody. I'll go to the well at noon when nobody else is there. And then the rest of the day, I'll just stay in my house and hide out. I'll cook, I'll clean. I'll do whatever I've gotta do to make sure I don't have to face people. We all do it. We all do it. Some of us call it, call it that I'm just an introvert. I just like being alone. You weren't created to be alone. You were created for community. You weren't created to be alone. Some of us hide in our wonderful personality. You're the life of the party, but you are dying on the inside. Some of you hide in your education. You're smarter than everybody else, but you're not happy. You're not satisfied. Some of us escape, we just go into fantasy. See, that's why fantasy is so much easier than reality and so much more desirable sometimes than reality in the day we live in because man, real life requires dealing with real problems and real people. So I'd rather just hide because I'm not good at dealing with real people and real problems. Because if I get to know people and they get to know me, will they still like me? If they know that about me, will they still accept me and receive me? So we're all, every person in this room today is hiding from something. Sometimes we hide, listen, one of the things that we do is we hide the guilt of some and the shame of some of the things we've done. By trying really hard to do a lot of good things. And so now you're trying really hard to, 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 to help out orphans. And all of that is good. But the reason you're doing it is not out of love. It's because you're trying to cover up the fact that you feel like an orphan. And some of us are giving a lot of money to charity. But that's to make us feel better about the fact that we don't feel good about who we are. So we hide so many different ways. And Jesus shows up that day to talk to that woman who he shouldn't have anything to do with to let her know you don't have to hide anymore. See Seeing that what Isaiah said, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. He's talking to the people of God, and he's saying one of the reasons they were ashamed and disgraced is because they were such a small nation, inferior to every other nation. They had such a low view of themselves. Do you remember even when God said, hey, I'm going to give you a promised land, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to make a way for you. And then they saw it. They looked at it and said, that place is too big for us. We are like, we are like grasshoppers in the side of these people. It's not that the people that they were looking at were giants. It's that comparatively they felt small. So they would rather hide than go in to the promised land. And I'm just telling you, shame is keeping you out of so much that God has for you. It's keeping you out of relationships that God has for you. It's keeping you out of fulfillment. From really entering in and fully engaging the call of God on your life, it's keeping you from the the real joy of what it means to be in a church family and a part of community. It's keeping you from the joy of what it really means to be in a marriage and to have. To, it's keeping you because you are like I'm just I'm not big enough for that. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not enough for that. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus came to remove our shame. So no longer would we look at any situation and say I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not big enough for that. But when we have Christ, the hope of glory on the inside of us, we can look at every situation and say, I'm well equipped. I am well able to enter the land. Every promise that God has made belongs to me. I don't care where I came from. I don't care what my history is. I don't care what the color of my skin is. None of that is an indicator of what God is going to do in my life. I refuse to be ashamed. I won't let shame keep me from embracing. Everything that God asks for me, I refuse. Won't do it. So Jesus is there and he meets her and he's like, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about water. Because the reality is, is girl, you are thirsty. <laughs> you're thirsty and you're hungry. You are all of the above. And when you're thirsty, you'll drink anything. When you're hungry, you'll eat anything. So no wonder the world is caught up in so many evil things. They're thirsty. I'm always amazed when the church gets amazed at the world for acting like the world. It, It shocks me. Can you believe what they did? Oh, my God. They're thirsty. They're hungry. No wonder they're doing what they're doing. Jesus comes and he says, I know you're here for a drink of water. But if you drink from this, you're still gonna be thirsty. And She says, well, give me some of this living water so that I never have to come to this well again. That's what God wants to do. God wants to to make you so full of him that you never have to go to any other source for satisfaction again. You don't have to go to the source of approval from others. You don't have to get the validation from your friends and your family. Because now you've got a you got a well living on the inside of you. And every time I need refresh, I don't have to draw from you, and I don't have to draw from you, and I don't have to take from you. I can scoop right from the inside. Of me, a well that is bursting up inside of me. So he's waiting, she's hiding. And Jesus is trying to take her from shame into fulfillment. Let me me tell you this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The journey out of shame begins when we betray its foundational belief that I must hide. And we've been doing it since the beginning, right? You see it in Genesis chapter three, verses seven, three. The Bible says that the eyes of them, Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they had disobeyed God. They were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, this, um, this desire to hide, it's actually... Not a bad desire, it's just that we hide in the wrong things. Remember when God sees them and he says, this, this covering that you've made for yourself, this, this, this way of covering up your sin, it's not good enough. <laughs> it doesn't cover enough. So, Jesus, so the Lord actually killed an animal and covered them, sacrificed blood, and then he covered them with the skin of the animal. In other words, what God is saying is, I do want you to hide, but I don't want you to hide in stuff you make. I want you to hide in the sacrifice that I have made for you. You are hidden in Christ. Hmm. I, don't want you, I want you to hide, yeah, but I want you to hide in me. The tendency, because we've, we've, we've misunderstood what church is all about, what the Lord is all about, Our tendency is to when we make a mistake is to run from God. But God is trying to teach us that when you make mistakes, that's not the time to run from me. That's the time to run directly to me. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 23 and 24, the Bible says this. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord? First of all it's it's uh it's ignorant to think that we can hide from God. So why not just be open and honest? <laughs> Three things I think that make us filled with shame. I think we're vulnerable to perfectionism. So what we do is we try to attempt at silencing our shame with error-free performance. And when we have made a mistake, we rarely admit mistakes. Another reason we're critical of ourselves, and what happens is criticism of self turns into criticism of others. I've, I've never I've never gotten mad at a critic. Uh, well, I can't say that over the past few years I haven't gotten mad at critics. Once I understood, man, those first few years of ministry, Lord, I was mad at everybody. Nobody loved Jesus. <laughs> Nobody wanted to come to church, but just over the past few years, I just stopped being upset with critics because I started to realize that critics are actually the most critical of themselves. And so I actually just started to pray for critical people because the reality is they have to live with themselves and that's a bigger burden to carry than what they're trying to put on me. Another reason, we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. Uh, We focus on the worst possible outcomes. We sabotage our own opportunities and relationships. So how in the world do I begin to overcome shame? Can I give you a way? This will help you overcome shame in your own life and help you help other people overcome shame in their life. First of all, you've got to begin to speak life. Speak life. and Here's how you speak life. You speak life into your value. You speak life into your value. <laughs> I look at this woman and I'm thinking, man, she's been, she, she, she's been married five times and now she's on the sixth man? Most people will look at it and say, at your life and say, man, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that valuable. I would look at it and say, hey, you're so awesome, six people wanted to be with you. I'm having a hard time keeping one person with me. You've had six people. <laughs> you gotta flip it up somehow. You gotta begin to speak life. Hey, I'm so awesome, six people have wanted to be with me. And this sixth dude wants to marry me, but I ain't even saying yes, I'm holding out and making sure he's the right one. <laughs> I'm valuable (laughs) you got to begin to speak into your value the only reason the enemy attacks you is because you're valuable it's the only reason the greater the attack sometimes the greater the impact you think man I'm under such attack I must not really matter no you are under attack because you matter And sometimes an indicator of how much you matter is seen in how much you are attacked. If you look at anyone in scripture that did anything great for God, their life was under attack. It was a sign that they were valuable. That's why God would come to Gideon and Gideon would say, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. And the first thing he would say to Gideon is, hey, you mighty man of war. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm afraid. He's got... He's got got to speak into the value of a person to begin to change the way they see themselves. So when you speak into your value, you are speaking into your identity because you are not what you have done and you are not what has been done to you. You're not. You begin to speak into your identity and your identity is your intelligence and your personality, your makeup. Some people, some people put themselves down and they don't think they're intellectual. They don't think they're smart. I talk to my kids sometimes and I'm like, you know, hey, listen, you can do this. And sometimes the response is, I'm just not smart enough. Oh, yes, you are. Absolutely, you are. You've got to constantly speak into somebody's intelligence because one of the reasons we feel like we're not as valuable as other people is we don't feel like we're as smart as other people. And your brain might not operate like everybody else's, but God has designed it in such a way that it'll work for you if you will work it. Speaking to their personality, you gotta begin to speak life into your personality. I know I'm a little shy and a little backwards and I don't, you know, all of my jokes don't hit sometimes, but bless God, I'm still gonna tell them. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. God created this, me this way. And this dry sense of humor is funny to some people. Have you ever noticed that one person, you can sit and watch a comedian, another person can sit and watch the same comedian, and one person be rolling on the floor and another person be looking like? <laughs> because personality, it's valuable. you got to begin to speak life. you got to look for the good. Proverbs eleven twenty seven says, if you'll look for good, you'll find it. But a person who looks for evil, evil will find them. There are just some people in this room today, you're just constantly looking for the bad. No wonder shame has attached itself to you because you're not looking for anything good in your life. You've got to begin to look for something good in your life again. I know you've been disappointed. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been betrayed. But can I tell you, God has a good plan for your life. I know the plans that I have for you. They are good and not evil. Look for the good. Speak faith got to speak the things that you want to see. Proverbs 18 and 21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. You're literally eating the fruit of what you speak with your mouth. Your life becomes the result of the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's what Proverbs is telling us. So I moved the focus from what I am not to who Christ is. Watch what she did. She left her water jar, the Bible tells us she forgot she was thirsty. She forgot what she came for. And she runs back into the city and she tells everybody, she said, I met a man. They said, we know. She said, no, this man is different. I was married to five. I'm living with the six, but this is the seventh man. This guy is different than anybody I've ever met. And some of you, you've been through a lot. But I'm telling you this morning, you're about to encounter the seventh man. When you get to the end of man, number six, and you come into the seven, you find perfection. The Bible's just, the Bible's just teaching us that when you get to the end of yourself, you're about to experience a life that you never knew existed before. And she said, hey, I met a man told me everything I ever did. Isn't that an amazing thing? This woman goes from hiding out at noon at the well to running into a city and telling everybody she just met a man. She lost all fear of man. Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap. And Jesus has come to set us free from the fear of men. And she goes from being scared to even show up when everybody is at the well to running into a city declaring Jesus is Lord how how radical is that encounter we stand on your feet this morning I met a man I want to tell you this too we rob shame of its power with repentance repentance the Bible tells us in 1st John chapter 1 and verse 9 it says if we confess our sins God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Don't forget this power that you have of repentance. If we confess our sin, first, you got to recognize that there is some sin in your life. And when you look at it, you got to say, you know what? I'm not going to hold on to this because it's going to hold on to me. I'm gonna release this and I'm gonna confess this to God. And as I confess this to God, watch what God does. He's faithful, he's just, he forgives us, he purifies us from all unrighteousness. Then watch what James five says. James five says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. One of the reasons we don't talk to other people is because I think number one, we are afraid to lose our reputation. We're afraid to lose our reputation. But here's the thing about a Christian. <clears throat> I'm not really supposed to live off my representation, off of my, uh <coughs> my reputation anyway. I'm supposed to live my life off of his reputation. So what I do when I confess my sin, I let Jesus become my reputation. (laughs) And I live in the freedom that mm, that repentance brings into my life. Are you afraid of rejection? Is that why you're not confessing? Don't be afraid. Jesus was despised and rejected for you and now accepts you. See, if anybody rejects you, he totally understands that, but your confession is not, your confession is more likely to draw people to you than away from you. It's the truth. So we confess, we repent, we repent, we confess, and we repeat, because what does this do? It constantly robs shame of its power. Because if you know, and God knows, who cares? (sighs) (laughs) I told, oh my God. There was somebody that came to me one time and they said, hey, did you know this about so-and-so in your church? I said, yeah, I knew it. What's the big deal? They said, oh, we just, oh. uh." See, they thought they had power because they didn't think I knew. But because I knew, their accusation lost all of its power. Can somebody, Come on, man. Can somebody give God some praise this morning that he already knows everything about you and he still loves you? (laughs) It's good news this morning. So we're going to leave here free or what? Amen. Let's throw our hands up in the air this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We give you glory and honor this morning, Jesus for your sacrifice, for why you came. You came to set the captive free. We will not be held captive by our shame. We will not be overwhelmed by what we have done, but we will be overwhelmed by your glory. We will make your finished work the focus of our life, and we will live in, the, in, in your reputation, and we will live in your power and in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Come on, bless the Lord this morning. Let's put our hands together.